0: I'd like to start this morning by asking you all a question. Have you ever been around someone who, when you leave the conversation, you just feel more inspired, like you've changed, like you feel better, and what they have shared with you has made you a better version of yourself? I have a friend that whenever I spend time with them, I know that I'm going to laugh, I'm going to cry, I'm going to be challenged, and that's all going to be within five minutes of being with them. And I absolutely love it. I love the fact that they're not afraid to share who they are with me, and in turn, I get to share who I am with them. You might be able to immediately identify a person in your life that does that for you who inspires you to go deeper in your faith, who challenges you to be better, and who just is able to speak truth into your life. If you're lucky, you may have multiple people who do that for you. Not all of us are that blessed. And if you can't think of anyone, then maybe it's because you are that person. Now I want you to think, if you've ever been around someone whose interaction just leaves you feeling empty and guilty, and disheartened just by the words that they have spoken or even how they have said them or perhaps what they haven't said. It's not easy to be around these people and it can be painful and discouraging and it can be hard to refocus on God and the promises that he has spoken over you. I have had people say things to me that have not been helpful, that have cut deep and that haven't been spoken in truth or in love. And I'm sure all of us can recall times when words and actions of people have shifted our focus away from God and have left us just feeling empty. Today we're gonna look at a very short verse from the book of Proverbs, which can be found in the Old Testament, and it talks about this exact thing. The book of Proverbs was probably most associated with King Solomon, one of the ancient kings of Israel. Solomon is probably most famous for a conversation that he had with God during a dream, where instead of asking for riches or success, he asked for wisdom. Very wise already. A prayer that obviously God was delighted to answer. And I love the book of Proverbs because it's full of little but incredibly wise statements about how to live a godly life. And although the book was probably written around 3,000 years ago to ancient Israel, The message within it is still remarkably, amazingly relevant and applicable to us today. So the wisdom contained within the book of Proverbs covers nearly every aspect of life. But the thing I want to concentrate on today is the fact that much of the book emphasizes listening to others so that we may learn from them and and apply the combined wisdom of those who have gone before us, but also those who are with us now. And so it's in the book of Proverbs that we find the simple yet profound verse in chapter 27 and verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. These nine words hold so much wisdom. They teach us a valuable lesson about the significance of connections and relationships in our lives, which we all need to grow and thrive and see things from different perspectives. The metaphor in this verse of iron sharpening iron carries a powerful message. It's a little harder for us to understand now because we don't use iron in the same way as they did in the Old Testament. But basically, iron blades become sharper and more effective when they come into contact with each other. I'm sure most of us have tried cooking and cutting with a blunt knife. It's so frustrating, isn't it? Especially if you're cutting onions, because they slip and slide under the knife, and you cry in anyway, so you can't see what you're doing. So you may think, I'm going to buy a sharpening block. And that's exactly what I did a couple of years ago, and honestly, it's changed my life. I now actually enjoy carving a roast dinner and even cutting onions again. And in a similar way, our lives are enhanced and refined through the interactions that we have with each other. We're not meant to journey through life in isolation, but to engage with one another, challenge one another, support one another, and encourage one another in our faith and our discipleship. And I think there's a mutuality in this picture of iron sharpening iron. We work together together. And as a church, we all have a role to play in supporting and loving one another. And yes, there'll be some people who are further on in their journey than others, and we should glean from them wisdom and from their experience. But it doesn't mean that the rest of us should be passive observers or consumers. What this verse teaches us is that every single one of us has a role to play in encouraging and supporting those around us. I'm assuming all of us want to grow. And wherever we are in our discipleship, and here at Trent, we have a vision of everyone growing in their journey with Jesus, wherever the starting point is. It may be that today is your first time, that you've come along and you're exploring questions of faith. Or it may be that you've got years of experience following Jesus. But wherever you are, we want this to be a place that you can take your next step in your journey. And we believe that God gives us one another as a big part of that. This verse in Proverbs highlights the fact that one of the ways that we grow and develop is through relationships. But that isn't always easy in today's society. And if we look at how the modern world is set up, we can see how community is often just pushed out. Feelings of loneliness are higher than ever. A recent report showed that 55% of London residents said that they felt lonely. That makes London the loneliest city in the world. And we can be thankful that we don't live in London, but I can assure you that probably the stats for Nottingham aren't that much better. You might feel the same way this morning. It can be easy to be lonely and surrounded by people. But community is a good thing. God creates us for community. In the Bible, in Genesis, it says, it's not good for man to be alone. And there's so many reasons why this is true. Our mental health is affected when we find ourselves outside of community and in isolation. But it's really easy to be isolated. If we look at the biggest influence on our lives, especially for the younger generation, social media, we must confront the challenge it poses to the development of genuine and meaningful relationships. In this time of social media, we can seem more connected than ever. We've got Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and threads and feeds. They've given us an ability to connect with people around the world instantly. My parents spend a lot of time in Bulgaria, and it's wonderful to be able to pick up the phone and FaceTime them at any time, send them pictures of what's going on in the family. However, this connectivity often creates an illusion of genuine community. There's nothing quite like when they come home, when they sit in my front room and we can have a conversation face-to-face, where we can have a hug and drink a cup of tea together. And sometimes, we don't even use social media to connect. We live rather for the likes and the comments and the shares, and these might provide a sense of validation for a time, but they don't fulfill our deep longing for real human connection. Social media can encourage us to compare our lives with others, leading to envy, discontentment, and feelings of inadequacy. We see carefully created highlight reels of others' lives, while hiding the messiness and the struggles of our own. (laughs) This constant comparison erodes the truth and authenticity necessary for true community. I heard a phrase this week that Susie said. She said, "'Comparison eats your joy for breakfast.'" And it's so true. It's pretty easy to make your life look perfect on Instagram. But honestly, it's just not always the reality. And I think most of us can recognize that. The assumption in this verse we're looking at today is that meaningful relationships that are built on who we really are, rather than a creative picture of the best bits of our lives, whether that's on social media or in other ways, it's important and it gives us some pointers on how we might build them. There are so many things that we could talk about today, but I want to look at three ways I have experienced iron sharpening iron in my own life. And the first one is going to take a little bit longer, but bear with me because I think it's really important. Firstly, I want to talk about vulnerability. Because the assumption in this verse is that to have deep and meaningful relationships with one another those sorts of relationships are only really possible when we're vulnerable. True friendship and community thrives on authenticity and vulnerability. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, it says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power made perfect in weakness. That's in our weakness. When we embrace weakness through dependency on Christ, we glorify him And often, vulnerability can feel like weakness. I know that for me, there's a temptation to just resist it. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Our human nature is to resist vulnerability. We'd rather hide our weaknesses and pretend they're just not there. Yet God calls us to relate to him with our weaknesses fully acknowledged. As we admit our limitations, we can trust that when our capabilities end his begin. In his book Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland says, when we feel as if our thoughts, words and deeds are diminishing God's grace towards us, those sins and failures are in fact causing it to surge forward all the more. In his wisdom, God created us to be inadequate beings who are complete only when we completely depend on him. It's in our vulnerability that we see his power most at work. And part of that is opening up and allowing others to speak wisdom into our lives. In my own life, I know that as I begin to grow in my trust of God and in his power, I become more confident to begin sharing my vulnerabilities with those close around me but it's more than that. I think God loves us opening up to him in our weaknesses so he can show us his strength. I don't know about you, but I find that extremely encouraging and comforting that it's in our weakness that he is strong. And in the same way, I think this principle of vulnerability should be evident in the life of the church family. Our church family should be a safe space where we can share our joys and our sorrows, our doubts and our struggles. When we gather in that kind of genuine fellowship, we create an environment where masks can be removed and our true selves can be shown. And this vulnerability allows others to provide support and encouragement and it fosters deeper connections. Many people, myself included, find the prospect of being vulnerable really uncomfortable. But what I am beginning to realise is that in order to live out our faith, vulnerability is essential. When we love as Jesus calls us to, we open ourselves up to, being, to having that love rejected by others. C.S. Lewis always gives us great wisdom, doesn't he? So I'm going to read a quote. He says, Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket... Safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable. To love is to be vulnerable. And as I reflect on that quote, I know it provokes me to continue pressing into vulnerability because I definitely don't want to end up with an unbreakable, impenetrable heart. For me, there's so many Times where this, I have seen the benefits of being vulnerable. Like a few years ago, my husband and I started a new small group. And before we started, we gathered a few core people to share our vision with them. We wanted it to be a place where people could be honest and go deep, could challenge and encourage each other, and basically be vulnerable with each other. And we were surprised by the connection that this made. That there was a hunger for them to be part of something where they could be real. And it reminded me of a time when I was part of another small group. Um, At the time we were leading this small group and we'd just finished watching a video, and the topic had really hit a nerve, and the tears were already flowing. I was struggling, and so I went upstairs to my bedroom where I got on my face on the floor and started to howl. Now, sometimes when I cry, it's a little bit um, loud. Now, I just want you to remember, first, I had abandoned my small group downstairs, the ones that I was meant to be leading. It's not a model of leadership that I would recommend. And unfortunately, I hadn't considered the fact either that my bedroom was directly above the living room where the abandoned small group still were. So there I am, howling into the floor for a good five minutes, until my lovely husband came, popped his head round the door and said, Becca, why don't you cry on the bed instead of the floor? Because the small group are getting very concerned. <laughs> I learnt a lesson that on your face on the floor before God isn't necessarily always the best place to be. So I realised that I couldn't be there all night. And the whole point of this story is what happens next. I was really embarrassed, but I knew that I had to go back downstairs and rejoin the group. Now, in a way, this is slightly forced vulnerability. I didn't choose it, but the love and the concern that they showed me in that moment was overwhelming, and it was so precious, and it has stayed with me to this day. They prayed with me and loved me, and the whole thing brought us together in a way that probably nothing else could have. But sharpening isn't just about vulnerability and crying into the floor. It's also about encouragement. The Bible places a value on encouragement. It's one of the spiritual gifts that Paul lists in his letters to the Romans. In Romans 12, 6 to 8, it says, we each have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he lists a few things like prophecy and serving and teaching. But he also says, But if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Encouraging one another is obviously important to God. And like all spiritual gifts, there are people who are particularly gifted in it. But we are all able to do it. And we're all called to do it. And the church offers a perfect place to practice it. In Hebrews 10.25, it says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Do you notice what it says and what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, do not neglect meeting together so that you can come and enjoy a thrilling talk like this one, and then go home and forget all about it. It assumes that when we meet together, we're to be an encouragement to each other. Related to this idea of encouragement, there's a Greek word, koinonia. I'm not very good at pronouncing Greek words, thankfully. Um, I don't have to very often. But it appears throughout the New Testament, and it's first seen in Acts 2:42, and it says of the early Christians, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in koinonia, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. But we see that koinonia means so much deeper and more intimate fellowship than just associating with and enjoying the company of other Christians. Koinonia is translated in other ways as well. It comes from the root word that means partner or companion. And it has this idea of sharing. Sharing possessions, sharing encouragement, sharing experiences, and sharing life, sharing oneself with each other. And that's how we're called to be as Christians. But in order for us to be be a place that truly sharpens and strengthens one another, we must actively participate and contribute. We're called to be agents of change, catalysts for growth in our church. And in order to do this, we must cultivate an environment of love and kindness and generosity. We must be quick to encourage, slow to judge, and eager to forgive As we extend grace and support one another, we'll witness the transformational power of God. There'll be times of joy where we celebrate each other, and there'll be times of sorrow and adversity where we stand beside each other and offer comfort and support. I have got so many examples of how this has played out in my life, especially within this church. People have celebrated with me as I got married, had children, got new jobs and seen God do incredible things in my life. But they've also supported me through the tough times, through family members passing away and many, many parenting disasters that don't worry I'm not going to share with you today. (laughs) But I do remember one particular season when my husband Stu was diagnosed with cancer I always get a bit emotional at this point, so just bear with me. (laughs) As you can imagine, it was a devastating time. And I remember walking into church Sunday after Sunday and just crying out to God. But the amazing thing is we were never alone. We were always surrounded by others who would come and stand with us, cry and pray with us, and literally hold us up both physically and in prayer. I don't know what my life would have been like without the community and friendship of the people in this church who encouraged us through the highs and lows. But this is a challenge, isn't it? Do we see Sundays or small groups or when we meet together as an opportunity to encourage each other? Are we intentional about using these times to encourage each other? A few weeks ago, Sam Malins was speaking on happiness, and I was struck by his point that so often the happiest people in our society are the people who are giving. He was talking about giving in all sorts of ways, but particularly, I want it to relate to us giving one another encouragement. Obviously, it's great to receive encouragement. We all love it. But it's also so beneficial to give encouragement as it sharpens those in the conversation. So I think there's an invitation today to think about who we're going to encourage. Who in my life or in your life right now needs to be lifted or celebrated? And how can we do it? I know for me some of the best ways I have given or received encouragement have been through really simple things like sending a text or inviting someone out for a coffee or a meal. You can never know the impact that such these small acts can have on someone. So, the way to function in healthy community, the way we sharpen one another like iron sharpening iron, is through embracing vulnerability and leaning into encouragement. But thirdly, it's also about challenge and saying the hard things. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another through challenge. Now this point is a little different from the other two points because whereas encouragement and vulnerability are quite positive and popular things, challenge is always more of a challenge. But in the same way, it's so important if we're going to be a church where iron is sharpening iron. It's funny because this one I don't struggle as much with. At Trent, we love a personality test and one of the favourites are the colours. So we've got the Greens, who are relaxed and caring and empathetic. We've got the Yellows, who are motivated, social, and they inspire people. The Blues, who are logical, organised and cautious. And then we have the Reds. It's not a very popular group. And guess which one I am. Yes, it's a small group. I can just say, though, that John Wright is also in my group, but he likes to think of himself as a purple because he's got quite a bit of blue in there as well. All this to say is that challenge probably comes more naturally to me than to most people, and yet I still don't always find it easy because it can cost people to challenge. But just as iron blades can straighten and reshape each other, We are called to, in love, correct and guide each other. Church is a place where we can find trusted friends who hold us accountable to our values and aspirations, pointing out areas where we're veering off course. This challenge, if it's rooted in love and genuine concern, enables us to recognise our weaknesses and strive for improvement. Together, we sharpen each other's character, integrity, and faith. And I love the uh, analogy of iron sharpened by its like, especially by a file. And as we're faced with things in our lives that aren't in line with God's plan for us, it's like we're being filed. It's not always comfortable, but it is necessary. I think we have to acknowledge, though, that the opposite is also possible, Just as we're sharpened by conversations with those who are positive and wise, we can also become blunt as we engage with conversations that are negative or delivered in a way that is harsh and uncaring. The danger in this is that we can use challenge as an excuse to vent or to cover up to say hurtful things under the vise of Christian love. I can think of times when people have said to me, Becca, I'm saying this in love but then what has followed has felt very different. Even when we want to highlight a potentially difficult truth to someone and our motivation is to do the best for that person, we need to be so careful about how we say things and ask ourselves if we're the right people to be saying it. I want to be iron that sharpens to improve both others and ourselves, not to pass away time with banter but to do as it says in Hebrews ten twenty four to 25. Let us consider one another, to provoke one another to love and good works. Church is a place where we encounter a beautiful tapestry of diverse perspectives and experience. Each individual has unique gifts and talents and wisdom to offer. The proverb, iron sharpens iron, reminds us of the profound impact that community can have on our lives. This short but fascinating verse paints a picture of life together, a picture of the type of community that God would have us be, the type of community that we are designed for. It's in a world in which we are not alone where relationships are real and important, where we're able to be vulnerable with each other, where we seek to encourage one another, and where, when needed, we even love each other enough to say the hard things. That's the sort of community will grab the attention of the world. That's the sort of community that will stand out. And that's the sort of community in which people, you and I, can heal and grow. And that's the sort of community that God is calling us to be. So who is it this week that we're going to be vulnerable with? Who we're going to challenge and encourage? There may be people even now that are being put on your heart.